How's it going, guys? Welcome to episode number 25 of the Studio 7 Fitness Podcast. Um, I'm very excited for this one, guys. Um, I've been trying to get this uh, this gentleman on for, for a good while now. So um, basically, uh, I'd like to welcome Ireland's leading health and performance coach and uh, performance psychologist, Mr. Jerry Hussey. Um, so before I get on to what Jerry does, um, I'd just like to say... Jerry is an amazing human being, first and foremost, who's fiercely passionate about helping people um, achieve their potential and unlock that um, potential inside them, which has resulted in Jerry and his wife, Miriam, um, founding a company called Soul Space. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I love their mantra, change your thinking, change your world. Love that, love that. Um, and what Soul Space does is raising consciousness and awakening that inner potential and inspiring kind of greater health and performance. So um, they run seminars, workshops, um, and I've done one of them myself in June, which, which was really inspirational. So along with that, Jerry's also worked with Olympic athletes, GA teams, athletic stars. Um, as you can tell, I'm pretty super excited to get Jerry on. So without further ado, welcome uh, Mr. Jerry Hussey to the Studio 7 Fitness Podcast. Hey, Michael. It's unusual to hear myself being called Mr. But, uh, hello. <laughs> Um, first and foremost, Jerry, thanks for coming on. And I know you're a busy man. Um, but uh, how is how are you all keeping in Dublin at the minute? Um, and how's Miriam? And I know you welcomed a, a lovely baby boy into the world during the first lockdown. Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, we have a little man. He's five and a half months old. And uh, it is, as I said, it's our first baby. So we had to make it up as we were going. As you know, <laughs> Uh, Miriam's family and my family are all in Galway so with lockdown we haven't been able to get down and they haven't been able to come up so in some ways it's been tough because we've had no support and in other ways it's good because we've no one telling us we're making a mess of it. So, uh, we think we're doing a good job um, but uh, yeah it's great he's he's happy he's healthy he's a great little boy and, and, and we're delighted and in many ways COVID uh, has been a, a bit of a gift because it has allowed us uh, to work from home so while I know that's not easy for everybody, um, it has given me and Miriam the time to to be at home in the house with him every day and to see the first couple of months as he develops and grows. So, yeah. um, you know, while COVID has been challenging to many aspects of the business, I think that's the gift it's given. Yeah, and, and that's a good way to see it. And I remember you mentioned that before that, you know, it was obviously tough with grandparents and siblings and, and, and aunts and uncles wanted to see him. Uh, but you, in, in, on the other, on the flip side, as you said, you've got time to spend those precious um, first few months with him and to bond with him. So, that that's amazing. That is, it is. It's, it's a gift, as I say. But um, who knows when he's nine, nineteen or twenty? I'll tell you, it's a good job. Or not. <laughs> we'll do another podcast then, and we'll see what the story. Yeah. Okay. Um, before I get onto the question, I just want to. Um, well, first of all, to thank you, you have, you've actually ticked off um, a goal of mine on my vision board, which is, uh, we'll talk about visualization later on. Um, but I had started a podcast in 2019 and to have Jerry Hussey on in 2020. And thank you very much. We made it just about October. <laughs> um, so thanks for that. So we checked off uh, something there for me. Now, I just want to take you back to where I actually first heard you speak. And I think it was 2015, maybe 16. It was in the Brandon Hotel, I think, in Chile. Mm -hmm. And it was a sports conference there. So um, I was obviously listening to the speakers and this and that. And then when you when you stood up and you, and you started speaking, um, I remember taking loads of notes and I was like, wow, you know, the, the, you know, the, this guy is really um, I inspirational. And what, you, what I got from that mainly of that talk was you were talking about your work with the Olympic boxing team at the time and how 
you maybe were brought in and I think it was a voluntary there was no, not a paid position but you went in and you're trying to kind of rejigged or restructure what was going on because they were good boxers but they they weren't mm-hmm. really getting to the pinnacles so maybe just talk us through that and that holistic approach and I think you put up a, the iceberg and you talked that through so that's mm-hmm. um yeah I think that's where my, my career started and now when I look back it's 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 nearly you know it's for me I still see myself in some ways as a sports psychologist but there's a lot of people who I work with now and a lot of people who attend my events that don't know me as a sports psychologist because we evolve as people and I think my, my message has evolved and deepened. But I started off as a sports psychologist and working with the Irish Olympic boxing team and my role was uh, two things. So first and foremost, the Irish boxing team um, was one of the worst boxing teams in the world and we had this dream, this ambition that we could take it to one of the best boxing teams in the world. But we didn't have any money, so we couldn't buy a new equipment. We couldn't change the gym. We couldn't bring in, uh, you know, a, a suite of support professionals. Uh, and we had to use the same boxers because there wasn't this big type pipeline of boxers. So we had the same boxers, the same gym, the same equipment, uh, and yet we were somehow going to transform the boxing team. So uh, Gary Keegan set it up. Uh, he brought myself and Billy Walsh in, and I suppose my it was my first performance psychology. Uh, job. I was new to it. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, and I had been a boxer myself and I had been familiar with the Irish boxing team. Um, and I'd always known it was full of extru- extremely talented boxers, like Billy Walsh himself, like so many great boxers, extremely talented, physically physically strong and, and, and would literally fight, fight to the death. Yeah. And, yeah. and yet, despite having all of that, uh, never really performed and, and most of those boxers will tell you that as an individual or as a team they never really performed so that was the legacy uh, that I walked into but passionate about the sport of boxing I love it myself I still do it at my old age but I love it mm-hmm. um, and the first step was to try figure out what happens so in life and all my work I look at the physical and the non-physical so when I looked at the Irish boxers, they were physically fit, physically strong, physically well-conditioned. They had the discipline and they still underperformed. So the amount that we could change the physical was actually very small. So we needed like an 80% change in, in performance. And we probably only get 5% of that from the physical. So I knew looking at different diet plans, looking at different training sessions really wasn't going to make a difference. So we started looking at the non-physical. So we started to look at what was the non-physical? So the, the mindset stuff. Yeah. So I started yeah. to sit with boxers and ask them a simple question. So I'd ask them, you know, when you're in a big a big, a big fight and it comes down to the last 30 seconds and you're exhausted and it's crowd, uh, you know, are full and you're fighting for everything you ever wanted and now you slip two points behind and I press pause. I'd ask them, what percentage of, what percentage of the, of you winning that fight now comes down to your mental strength, your ability to focus, your ability to think clearly under pressure, your ability to withstand distraction, your ability to be in that moment. And it varied in answers from 80%, 90% down to 50, 60%. But everybody agreed that the mental side of the game, the non-physical side of the game was 60, 70, 80%. And then when I asked, when you look at all the hours you spend training right now, how many of those hours are spent training your mind? and very few so the first thing i had to do was help them become present help them uh, develop a mind that could think clearly under pressure 
and really understand the brain and how the brain works and and how to build self-belief and how to build fun and, and, and passion and take fear out because what the biggest thing that short circuits the brain is fear. Yeah. And whether that's fear that I'm not enough or fear that I won't be good enough or fear of our opponent or we all live in some type of fear and fear short circuits the brain. In order to have the brain working perfectly, we need the prefrontal cortex, which is the conscious part or open. But if we're in a fear state or a threat state, then we instant, instantly go into fight or flight. So we're working on all programs, all beliefs. Uh, and when an, an Irish boxer went in, having been beaten again and again, multiple big championships, the minute he becomes fearful, he enters the subconscious programs that activates the subconscious beliefs and his belief is I can't win this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. But then, Michael, the most amazing thing happened and it kind of redirected my career in a way that I could never imagine. So when I went looking at numbers and when I went looking at past Olympic athletes, I asked a simple question. So I believe that every single human being is one question away from a major breakthrough. So I always believe in the power questions. So I kept asking ex-athletes, why did you underperform? And it is amazing what I was expecting. I was expecting the answer to be pressure, stress, anxiety, the fear of the Olympic Games. But the answer that I kept hearing coming back was, I underperformed because I was sick. And I said, why were you sick? And I said, I don't know, I got some type of flu or I got a virus, I got a gastro issue. So then I started asking doctors, and why do people get sick? And some people started saying, well, well, it's just bad luck. I mean, it was almost accepted as bad luck. But the human being and these athletes were physically conditioned they were trained well, they were on the perfect diet, they slept well, so why were they getting sick? So the more I started to ask the question is the more I realized that sickness depends on a number of things. Uh, the first thing is the gut. I realized 25 years ago that so much of our immune system is in our gut. So when I looked at the food, the boxes were eating boxes because it's a weight control sport. We nearly see food as the enemy. We don't want to eat it. And if we do eat food, we eat a small amount of food that gives us massive hits of energy, so high sugar, high high carbs. Yeah. But then when I looked at the food that gut needs, it needs greens, it needs good uh, food that de-alkalizes the, the gut, it needs good diversity. I realized that the boxes were actually eating all the wrong food. Okay. And we know that the food we eat will either boost our immunity or diminish it. So the food we're eating was diminishing. So the first thing we had to change was the food. The second thing, when I started to really research into the connection between the mind and the body and, and, and the gut, I realized that stress levels, an over-agitated or an over-activated central nervous system produces far too much levels of cortisol. The cortisol then has a massively negative impact on the gut and the gut lining. So I realized that what we were very good at doing was training the boxes very hard and pushing them. But then we hadn't we hadn't trained them how to relax, how to rebalance the central nervous system. So when I started to research that, I realized that the simplest and fastest way to train uh, the central nervous system to reset is by breathing. Okay. And I realized most people are breathing wrong. Our lungs have a capacity of, of 10 liters. Most of us are only using a half a liter. Most of us are breathing up to 20 breaths a minute. We should be taking between 8 and 10. So we train the boxers to use diaphragmatic breathing. And we train them so that in five deep breaths, we could see that they were switching from sympathetic nervous system, which is rest, or which is fight or flight, activated central nervous system. But in five deep breaths, they could switch from, paras- from sympathetic nervous system to parasympathetic nervous system. And now the body was relaxing. 
the brain was stopping producing cortisol and their immunity was boosting wow. again. In five breaths. In five breaths. Wow. Uh, and then we measured heart rate. So now this serves to bring their heart rate down. And 25 years ago, Michael, I had the Irish Olympic boxing team meditating after every training session to rebalance the central nervous system, to expand the mind, to, to heal the body. And we know the quicker we recover, the quicker we can get back to training. We know that if we're training or living or working without active recovery, really good recovery, we're no good. And then I attended a conference by a guy called Dr. Bruce Lipton, and this blew my mind. And Lipton was saying that our thoughts have a massive impact on our physiology and even our uh, genetics. Uh, you know, Bruce Lipton was a geneticist and worked in Harvard uh, and had wrote the manual in many ways on what we believe to be the genetic predisposition. But he was saying no. He was saying that what every gene has certain receptors on the outside and the genes will switch on or off depending on the environment. But the environment is not your external environment. Your environment is your inner environment. So if we live in a stressful state, if we live in a state whereby we believe there's a big threat in the world or something bad is going to happen, then we are constantly sending a signal to our genes that we're in a threat state. So the fight or flight genes are dialing up, the healing, the digesting, and the reproductive genes are switching off. Wow. Because if a big, if you think a big tiger is about to jump through your, the window and you're after eating your dinner, yeah. your body yeah. has no interest in waiting to digest the food before it runs away from the tiger. It's just going to say, get the hell out of here. So it switches off the digestive enzymes. It switches off those genes. If you are in a state where you believe there's something bad happening in the world or something bad is about to happen in the world, your reproductive organs are not going to believe that's a safe place to bring in a baby. So you're, you're not going to be able to conceive. Okay. But the more he said this, the more I started to understand. I wonder, could this be right? Because even as a psychologist, I was saying, God, this is, this is, this is new. But when I thought about it, I said, well, here we go. If when we get embarrassed, we have a thought. The thought leads to an emotion. And then my cheeks go red. Now, that's a biochemical and a physiological response. So there's a biochemical physiological response or change happening in my body as a direct consequence of my thought. When we get sad, we feel an emotion and then the emotion produces tears. So in many ways, we know when we get nervous, we get butterflies in our stomach. When we get afraid, we redirect the body. So we know in many ways that our thoughts and emotions have such an important impact on our body. And one of the key things that make us feel safe, make us feel, are actually the words we used. Open my mind to this. I realized that it's actually our, our thoughts and the things we think about and the way we choose to interpret our environment that's either moving us forward or bringing us back. And the more I researched this was the more I, I looked at the word disease. And what is disease? It's lack of ease. Yeah. And lack of ease in the mind and lack of ease in the body because of the biochemical and because of the new, the, 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 the biochemical and because of the neurological responses that stress released. It's stress. So in some ways, we were eating, living, and thinking ourselves into sickness. And that changed everything. So I'm always fascinated and passionate about performance. Yeah. I yeah. love working with elite athletes. But more importantly, I'm passionate about health. Because every single one of us has a big goal. And the goal is to see our children grow up, to be at their wedding, to see our grandchildren. 
And that isn't just something that happens. It's something that we create. So we have an active role to play in our own health, in our own wellness, in our own happiness. And the more you realize that your inner environment has little to do with the external environment, but your inner environment is your reaction to the ex external environment, then you realize that we're defined not by what's happening outside of us, but how we choose to respond. Yeah. And then that opened up to me that, that we have the ability to manifest, to create, and to reshape our own world. And once we got the boxers into that way of thinking, that way of living, we became a medal machine. And we used to go to tournaments. We just take medal after medal after medal. And because we believed in our mind that we had everything done, we had no fear, we were having fun, we were enjoying what we did with mm -hmm. a physically strong body, with a physically strong mind. And uh, of course, it doesn't mean you win every time. Um, yeah, but you put in a much better position to win. You're, you're increasing your chances. And that's all I want to do in life is yeah. I want to help people increase their chances of living the life they dream about. Yeah. And that could be a big dream about winning an Olympic medal or climbing Everest, or it could be a simple dream. I want to be at my children's wedding. And if that is important to you, then you have something to do. It's not just in the lap of the gods. You have an active role to play in. You have a why, you have a focus then. Um, that was brilliant. So um, that kind of nearly brings me on. We're, um, we both have a mutual friend uh, or a mutual fan of um, Dr. Joe Dispenza and what you mentioned there about, and he was talking on a podcast where, you know, you can literally think yourself sick um, and then in the flip side, he said, but you can also think yourself well. And I found that was pretty profound um, and how we're sort of sort of designed or we're, we're wired for negativity um, and we're surprised. Because I remember saying in some of my workshops, you know, what, what happens when you get a bit of luck? Um, and we're surprised, aren't we? If we if we get something good happens to us, we're like, oh, Jesus, you know, um, mm -hmm. nothing ever good happens to me. So it's that kind of maybe a negative safety blanket we're keeping ourselves under. But I found that amazing. He said, but if you can think yourself unwell, you can think yourself well. I found that was pretty. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it kind of brings me nicely onto when you're talking about choice there, Jerry. I was reading, well, I've got the Daily Stoic there by Ryan Holiday and that Stoicism, that kind of ancient philosophy talking about. So it's basically how we can... Uh, it teaches us we can't control or rely on anything outside reason choice so basically our ability to use our reason to choose how we respond and i remember i think it was in the seminars we did in june and if for soul space that i was on and you talked mm. about victor frankl and that quote mm. you might talk about that jerry just about how we do have that mm. power i say it, it did differentiates us from animals and other and other species um, of course yeah well you know when we talk about the subconscious mind the subconscious mind is just a conditioned reflex so you do without thinking um, but when you add in thinking, when you add in the conscious mind, now you, you, you create a gap between stimulus and response. And in that gap is where we can define who we are, what we're made of. So the same thing can happen to two different people, but they respond differently. Okay. The same people can look at the same situation, but depending on their inner belief, depending on their sense of wellness, to their past experiences, they'll interpret it differently. So what I, I learned is that most people see in the world or they see the world as an extension of themselves. Okay. So if you wake up in the morning and you're angry and you really want to express your anger, I promise you, you'll find someone to that's going to annoy you that day. Yeah, true. But if you wake up in the morning and you're happy and, and grounded and grateful and you're not interested in having an argument, then you'll find loads of people that make you smile that day. So I came across this expression that we see the world as, uh, not as it is, but as we are. And okay. while I love the work of Dispenza and, and these guys, after my after my psychology degree, I actually went back and did a degree in philosophy and theology. 
because philosophy is actually the greatest training. But Descartes, who came long, 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 long before uh, Joe Dispenza, Descartes was actually the guy that said, I think, therefore I am. Okay. The okay. only thing that we know as human beings is that we are thinking. Then everything we come to know, we take in through one of our senses. So we either see it, we smell it, we touch it, but a sense is just in a piece of information. So the information comes into your brain, but then it's your brain that constructs it into a message. But the message isn't just based on what you see, it's what you saw in the past, what it looks like. And that's why at times we see the world not as it is. So the eyes, we think the eyes see, but the eyes don't see. The eyes only take in light. It is the brain that processes that light and makes sense of it. So when you think you're looking out, you're not, you're looking in. When you look out and you see a tree or a car, that image is actually constructed inside the dark skull. So when I really started to become aware of that and become aware that uh, Rene Descartes says that what's happening is just information. It's what you, how you process that. So uh, move forward then to Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish physician, physician that ended up in a concentration camp and lost his wife and lost his children. And at one point he was about to give up, about to commit suicide. And he decided, no. He remembered his wife's parents and he said, as far as I know, they weren't captured. And I am the only person on the planet that can tell them that their daughter, their little baby grew up to be an amazing mom. I'm the only person that can tell them about their grandkids. And that gave him a why, that gave him a purpose. He said, how do I get out of this? He said, if I am to get out of this, I have to be different to this. So he asked himself, well, what is this? And he looked at the concentration camp and he said, this is anger, judgment and bitterness. And if I allow myself to become angry, judgmental or bitter, then I am no different than the problem and I get submerged into the problem. So he made a promise to himself that every day he would do himself, he would do everything he could to be different. So he would speak to the guards with kindness and compassion. He managed his own breath. He managed his own mindset. He eventually gets out, he goes on, becomes one of, he writes some incredible books. He gets a pilot's license at the age of 69. Wow. But he made that statement. He said, we're defined not by what happens to us, but how we choose to respond. And most people surrender their choice. Now, well, sure, I, you know, I can't get fit, Michael, because the gym is closed in COVID. Well, you can get fit in your home. Yeah, exactly. Since the beginning of February, I haven't done any training session bar in my house on a yoga mat. And I'd say I'm as fit as I ever was, but that takes effort and it takes commitment. People say, oh, well, you know, on a Friday show, you know, you have the glass of wine. And, but who said you have to have it? We think sometimes that just because something is happening that there's only one way to respond. And what I love it when you look at your own mind and you begin to ask yourself questions, why am I doing that? Is that bringing out the best in me? We all have these dreams and ambitions, but if you look at the way you live every day and you look at the decisions you make every day, decisions you make around your food, around the people you speak with, around the, the things you speak about, Ask yourself, are these conversations, are these things, are these people opening my mind and expanding it or closing it? Are they opening my heart and expanding it or are they closing it? And most of the time, we've actually surrendered our own power. We've become victims of the environment. So when we start to really take back control of our mind, you realize that your mind and your body is not an extension of the environment. It is different. So whatever is in the environment 
And a simple way of proving this is people who suffer from anxiety will know uh, that it is possible to be in a very safe, safe environment but feel highly anxious. People who suffer from depression will know that it is it is possible to be in a, a very happy environment but feel very sad. So we know how we feel on the inside can be and is often different to what's going on, on the outside. So yes, there may be anxiety or there may be adversity or chaos on the outside, but that does not mean that we have to be chaotic or or or, 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 or in, in any particular way on the inside. And that is the choice. Now, when you look from Descartes all the way through to Frankel, all the way up to Bruce Lipton, Louise Hay, and now you have Joe Dispenza saying it, they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The environment is created by you. And when we get that, when we really get that, and we begin to take responsibility for the things we eat, the things we talk about, the things we say, the things we allow ourselves to think about, now we've become an independent human being. We've separated ourselves uh, from the environment and then we're not conditioned by the environment anymore. Now we're free to become anything we want. And the more we radiate an energy that's different to the environment, the moment your vibrational frequency, and as human beings, we always give out frequency, quantum physics tells us that, the moment your frequency becomes stronger than the the frequency of the environment, then the laws of physics shows that the environment then changes its frequency to match yours. So you then start to control the environment. Rather than the other way around. You start to predict what happens. And that is the power. And every single great mind in the last three centuries have said the same thing. Wow. Um, And they're still... As I said, that environment. And I remember I was in a life... uh, When I was studying life coaching, and I remember the guy who was running, he was a psychotherapist and a hypnotherapist, um, et cetera. But he was saying, um, he asked the question is quite profound. It's like, what what would happen if you were raised by your next door neighbor? Um, and that was interesting. It was kind of like, it could be a totally different environment, religion brought up strict. They could be not as strict. You know, it's, it's amazing how that we are conditioned by and those that subconscious, as you said, those tapes that are, we basically play every day. And, we, you know, and there's that 5% conscious mind that we need to tap into. But I found that fascinating. And, and, you know, when you look at all your beliefs and what it all comes down to beliefs and i think there's only they say there's two human emotions love and fear but i think there's only one i think there's love and then there's the absence of love there's fear. when we live in a fear state fear manifests as anger aggression impatience frustration boredom anxiety depression that's all fear but what are the fears what do we actually fear and i think michael there's three big fears that we all suffer from one is that i'm not enough the amount of people who just don't believe in themselves. Yeah. The amount of people who believe they're not good enough. So the first fear is that I'm not good enough. The second fear is that I won't have enough. We're terif- always terrified that everything's going to leave us. And that's why half the world is stockpiling resources, while the other half the world starves to death. You can't consciously look at this universe and think it makes, or not the universe, you can't consciously look at the way human beings are acting and think that we're consciously awakened. We have stockpiles of food. We have stockpiles of money over here. And over here, we've 8,000 people a week dying of starvation. And we're all worried about COVID. 8,000 people a week dying of starvation every single week. We have such an imbalanced world. And it's not the universe because nature is actually very balanced. It is the human fear or the human ego that I won't have enough. So we need to stockpile. So we, we find it hard to trust so we don't, the first fear is that we're not enough. And we're constantly being so hard on ourselves and so critical. 
The second fear is that I won't have enough. And the third fear is that there's nothing beyond the physical. And when we believe there's nothing beyond the physical, then we'll only invest in the physical. We'll only see the physical. And then sometimes we'll ask you, what's the point? And when we die, what's the point? Well, what? Well, who dies is the big question. The physical body might die, but you're not the physical body. And neuroscience has proven that now. The brain is charged. The brain is, is, is fueled by an electrical circuit. But the brain does not create the electrical circuit. Now, that's phenomenal. So it the is. electrical circuit that has been sent to your brain is being sent by somewhere else. And what we know now is the electrical circuit is not created in any aspect of the physical body. So quantum physics shows us that we are walking, talking energy fields. And it's the energy field, the magnetic field, that is holding the body together. So the body is atoms, but there's big gaps between the atoms. And the atoms are held together by the magnetic field. If the magnetic field in the universe stopped at the minute, all the body would fall apart. But we think we're just physical beings. Wow. And when we awaken our mind to the non-physical, or the old Greek philosophers call it the metaphysical, or the, uh, it can be quantum mechanics or quantum, it's all saying the same thing, that everything in the universe is energy. And when we believe in energy, then we realize we are the universe, and that there is no death. There's only one passing of a physical being, and then we're back again. Yeah. And suddenly our biggest fears start to dissipate. And when we start to live a life that is less fear-based, more love-based, we know the heart generates a far bigger frequency than the brain. The brain is incredible, but it's a threat detection system. Yeah, It's always looking for threat. When we live by the heart, the heart only knows love. We passion. And, but how many people do you know follow their heart in life? Most people have a dream, they have something they're passionate about, and their brain talks them out of it. So we're living our, our mind through uh, our brain, or our fear center, and we're shutting off our love center. And what I try to do is get people to dissipate fear, dismantle fear, eliminate fear, and then start to live. So I ask questions, you know, no matter what the situation you're in, ask yourself, what would love do? If I really love myself right now, what, what would I do? If I was truly a loving person, what would I do? If every single human being on the planet could ask themselves those two simple questions and then act accordingly, we would have a much different and a much better world. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I 100% totally, agree. And it kind of brings me to that really good quote that you said. And I think I used it as a quote of the week one day, which we've just touched on there, that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. I found that was a, and I got really, so, there was such sort of amount, amount of comments I got on that um, and it kind of leads on to and you might share with the listeners the example that you use in, in your corporate setting with the chair I found that was really um, and, and, and what you said there about t- tapping into the heart a lot more and that heart brain connection is, is so powerful as you said oh yeah it's a simple example I use and it's where I would get a chair and uh, I would, you know, have the chair in the middle of the stage and I'd go off and I'd bring on some weights and I keep putting on more weights, but I keep letting people know how heavy it is and I'm kind of struggling and panting, so I'm setting the scene up. So now people are saying, what the hell is he doing that chair? God, that chair looks very heavy. So then I asked three priming questions to activate the no response. So I said, hands up here who goes to the gym every day. And maybe there's 500 people in the audience and maybe 100 hands go up. And then I said, how many people go to the gym every day and lift weights? maybe 50 hands go up. And then I say, how many people here likes making a fool of themselves in front of 400 people? <laughs> and no hand goes up. 
So now I've got everybody in the room to say no at least once. Now you have a habit. Now you've built, okay. Then I ask the question. And so I look at the chair and maybe there's 125 or 150 kgs on the chair. So I ask a simple question. Hands up, who believes they can walk up here and lift this chair? Everyone's kind of looking at there and no hand goes up. So I ask the question again. One more time, hands up, who can lift this chair? No hand goes up. So then I said, Let, what if I could change everything but change nothing? The chair, chair still weighs the same, but the situation is different. Your two-year-old daughter, your two-year-old son is trapped underneath it and they're suffocating. There's nobody else in this building. And if you don't lift the chair two inches in the next 20 seconds, they're going to die. If you saw your loved one trapped underneath that chair and you had to lift it two inches, put your hand up now if you think you'd lift it. It'd Every lift hand it. in the place goes up. You'd lift it. So what's different? The why is different. Because at that moment, your mind, body, spirit has come together. There is no distraction. There's nothing more important. And when the mind, the spirit, body, and spirit come together, you move beyond the physical. You move beyond fear and you move into love. And love is infinite. And you'd lift that chair. And then after the chair, I'd say, Michael, how did you lift that? And you say, I have no idea, Jerry, but I just did. And if I was to think about it, I wouldn't have done it. We are overthinking life. We're thinking ourselves into fear. Before we do something, we've already figured out why it might work. So the last question then I'll ask is, what would the chair have to weigh before you wouldn't even try to lift it? So imagine your loved one is trapped underneath it. Let's say it weighs 200 kgs. Would you still try to lift it? And of course, the answer is, of course. Yeah. But yet we have dreams that we never even tried to lift, Michael. We have dreams that we just make a decision or too big. I meet people all the time and I ask myself a question. Is this the life you dreamed about? Or I ask them, what did you dream of working at when you're eight years old? And they'd say, not this. And then I ask, who actually stopped you? And they say, I did. And that's the big awakening. The person that is actually stopping us is ourselves. And the reason we stop it is because we doubt ourselves, because we don't want to look foolish. We're worried what other people will think. We're afraid of failure. So we play it safe. We live within the limits. The danger with that, Michael, is we arrive at the end of our life and we only get 900 months roughly. And we look back at our life and we regret the things we never did. And there's a great book I've referenced regularly, The Five Regrets of the Dying. It will change anybody's life to read it. The biggest regrets that we have at the end of the life is, I wish I went after my dreams. I wish I spent more time with the people I loved. I wish I told the people I loved I loved them more. I wish I cared less about what people thought about me. And I wish I went easier on myself. I wish I wasn't so hard on myself. Well, I'm blown away here. That's why I'm very silent. But uh, um, I think that's, that, 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 that's amazing. And um, what I found is I was having probably that inner conversation for maybe three or four years in my previous job. I was in a salary job. I always had that, as you said, that dream. And there was one day I was positive. The next day, what, you, you can't do that, Michael. You, you're not from the town. You're not, you know, how are you going to get the money for it? And then, as you said, that that sort of reptilian or that part of the brain telling me I can't do it. So um, eventually got to a point um, and, and I, I jumped and said, look, at least I won't have that regret 
of that and if someone else took it over but is um going to touch back on that and that fear and compared to when we're young jerry and you, you use the inner child a lot and the baby which i found is really powerful in some of your keynotes and it's funny because you used to use an image of a baby for like they're probably about 20 now you were saying and now you're using baby elijah as the new baby Try, but, my um, little man. yeah and I, I run a mother and baby class in in the gym and over the last three years and some of the moms are actually on their second child now um but it's amazing their first crawls walks and rolls have happened inside the gym and of it's course. probably the best one of the best classes I do because I have great fun with them um and just just kind of touching that and and first of all about the baby but also that I, I got something really um from your seminar that you said about when you put a picture of you as a child into your wallet um and I actually from that point in June I have it as my screensaver on my phone as a reminder of your inner child so maybe just um maybe talk. yeah I think for a number of reasons I talk about this and and one is um, first and foremost, I think the relationship we, we have with ourselves is simply the most important relationship we have with anybody. If I can have a kind, loving, forgiving relationship with myself, then I, I know what kindness and forgiveness is. I know the power of it, so I want to share it. But if I have an angry, aggressive, hostile relationship with myself, then that's the only relationship I can have with everybody else. So that's the first thing. The relationship we have with ourselves is so important. Then the second is look at the impact it has on our health. So if we're toxic to ourselves, there's an expression that I use all the time. I say no amount of green juice will alkalize a toxic self-image. Love that. If we're too angry on our inside, then the body will, will eventually become toxic because our thoughts are toxic. And Bruce Lipton, Lipton in his incredible book, The Biology of Belief, talks about that. So secondly, then, how do I meet myself with more compassion and more kindness? And the biggest thing I found is we all love vulnerability. You know, most of us walk by a homeless person every day. And, and, and sometimes there's nothing we can do for that homeless person. But if you walk by a homeless baby that was three months old, none of us will walk by. There is something about vulnerability that makes us stop. So for me, when I realized that, I went back and I found an old picture of me when I was one year old. And at this time in my life, Michael, I was the most angry, most aggressive person at myself. I believed I was no good. I believed I was useless. I believed my dad didn't love me. I believed I was unlovable. And everything I did, I'd find a fault in it. And it was making me sick. It was, it was stealing life from me. Because no matter what I got in life, I found the bad thing. In it. I found why it wasn't good enough. And I knew this had to stop. I knew if I was to have any life, any peace, any joy, the first thing I had to stop was I had to stop beating myself up. Yeah. So yeah. when we talk about vulnerability and, and how we instantly respond with compassion to babies, I had this very simple idea. Why don't I get my, a picture of myself as a baby and put it in my wallet? And every time I start to give out to myself, just stare at the picture. And something amazing happened. I started to ask myself, would you speak like this to a baby? No. Well, why are you speaking to yourself like that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you say this to a child? No, why send it? And it keeps then, it, it makes me value myself. And I think sometimes, Michael, it's because we don't believe in who we are. We don't value who we are. And sometimes the question I ask is, what's the belief you hold about yourself that is allowing you to eat like that, work like that, live like that? Would you allow a baby to eat that food? No. Would you say those things to a baby? No you're doing it to yourself and when we when we get to a stage where we can honor the divine honor the beauty honor the 
even the imperfections in our own self. Yeah, and we can yeah, look at the yeah. person in the mirror and see the person in the mirror with kindness and love. And the transformation, the moment you can accept who you are, as you are, not when I get loose to a stone, not when I, when you can accept who you are right now, when you can look at yourself in the mirror and feel joy and gratitude and be inspired by yourself, something amazing happens. Now, just because you accept yourself doesn't mean, oh, well, I never change. But now you're going about the process of change with love. Most yeah. people mm -hmm. want to lose weight because I hate the way I look. Any journey we go on that's fueled by fear or hate is not going to last. And that's why most diets come unstuck. Changing the inner relationship with ourselves is the single biggest thing we can do. And one of the ways I did that was with the picture and, and I've moved on now. So with technology, I have as my screensaver too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have a picture of my own little baby. And that reminds me every day that he needs me to be healthy. He needs me to be well. So I need to make decisions based on keeping me well and allowing me to be the dad that I believe I can be. Uh, so it's just simple reminders like that that we use. But for everybody, when you look at most people's issues in life, they might blame the boss or they might blame. When it all boils down to it, I think the biggest thing that we all need to do is rebuild a better relationship with ourselves. That's the starting that's point, yeah, for sure. Um, that's great, Jerry. I know you've got, you're a busy man. You've got a little bit of, you've probably got only a few minutes left. But uh, as I said, I've got these plenty of cards here. We might do another one at some stage. But just as you mentioned there about indecision, I found a great quote. I think it was Jim Rowan. Um, uh, on one of his tapes that indecision is the thief of opportunity i found that was really mm -hmm. and i think that sums up a lot of it and i said i was so indecisive for a few years and i'm delighted now obviously in the in the current times you know it is obviously worrying being as yourself you being you know having business and self-employed but just that decision i'm delighted that i i made that um made that move and why do you think people do find themselves stuck um and can't make that decision to change or um, as I said, that self-critic. I think it's the lack of a why. Um, I think, Mike, we just need, it's like, what would you be do? What would you be willing to do for someone you love? Yeah. And the question, the answer is that anything. So do you love yourself enough to do anything? And that's what I mean. When we start to change our, when we see ourselves as equal to, equal in beauty and equal to everybody on the planet. I don't believe that any one human being is better than the other. Yeah. But I don't believe that I'm lesser than any other human being. And sometimes we give away everything to everybody else. When we start to honor our own truth, our own beauty, and we start to speak our own truth, we live our own life, knowing that we deserve it. And we deserve to be happy. Yeah, yeah. And every single one of us is a unique and special human being that deserves to be happy. And when you can start to cherish and, and prioritize that every day and give yourself the gift, you've been put on this planet for a reason. You have a story to tell. You have a message to say. You have a life to live. Just go and live it. Just get out of your own way and go and live it. That's brilliant. Um, I know, Jerry, you're, you know, obviously, you've got too much time to talk about it, but you're in the midst of um, finishing off a book, which is very exciting. Um, how's that going? You're, you're co close enough? Yeah, it's, it's finished actually. I'm halfway through my second book at the moment. Oh, wow. Uh, so I have three books uh, that will be books by themselves, but also one will lead to the other. So it's a fascinating uh, journey and it's a real honest journey. Um, 
and it looks at the human being. It looks at self relationship with self. It looks at why we have so much fear in our life, uh, overcoming uh, a toxic relationship with self. And then it moves on to looking at neuroscience and how the brain works, uh, a little bit of quantum physics. But there's a very real human story running through the books. And I think um, I think it's, 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 it was a gift for me to write it because yeah. it's me tracking my own journey. And it's very real, very human, very easy to read. Um, but I think it'll be powerful. I think if people really embrace it with an open mind, I think it, it'll be powerful yeah. because it's been powerful for me to write it. And uh, Can't wait to read it, Jerry. Yeah, um, thank you. And um, just in regards to the soul space, obviously the people can check you out is uh, the website. You've got some seminars coming up. I saw on your Instagram there and stuff. Yeah, we've a rise series coming up. So that's uh, four webinars. Each webinar is 90 minutes. You can buy all four or you can just attend one, whichever. It's similar, Michael, to the ones you attended, but yeah. different content. And the content uh, would be about how do I, you know, change my inner world? How do I ignite my mind? How do I build self-confidence? How do I boost my immunity? How do I deal with transition and change? How do I let go and release things that are no longer serving me? Um, so they're, they're uh, happening. Uh, all details are on our website, www.soulspace.ie. And um, I think yeah, I think they'll be helpful, in, in, particularly as we move into the winter and we need a, that extra bit of boost and we need that extra focus as we move into the next phase of, of this. So that's the RISE program. But everything we do is either on my own Instagram at Jerry Hussey or soulspace.ie, and you can see the type of work we do in the events we run. That's brilliant. And I highly recommend I'm probably going to sign up for this one as well. I did the one in June. It was every Sunday. Um, again, you can, if you can't get it to a live, you can actually, you know, you get it sent to you and you can watch it back. So really, I, I found it amazing. So just to, to wrap up there, Jerry, uh, just thanks again. Thanks a million. I know you're really busy and you're a lot going My on. My pleasure. Um, and as I said, from when, uh, from even sort of Balance Expo, I think it was 2018, I said, personally, I had a few things going on at the time. And just from your talk, I got a lot from it and it was really inspiring. So I appreciate that and all the work that you do and the same with Miriam and what she does and the whole soul space. So um, thank you and continued success for soul My space. Pleasure. My pleasure. And same to you, continued success. You're doing phenomenal work. So keep it up. And uh, please, God, we'll meet for a cup of tea soon. Oh, definitely. We'll have to meet in Williamson or Glen Amadi sometime. Absolutely, uh, and, yeah. and we'll have a, we'll have a cup of tea. Thanks a million, Jerry. Lovely. And Thanks. I'll Thanks. talk to you soon. See you soon. God bless. So guys, uh, that's a wrap on Jerry Hussey. Um, I'm sure your mind is blown as much as mine uh, listening to uh, to Jerry speak. Um, he has a way of delivering um, things that is um, unparalleled, I think, in the industry at the minute. So just a great human being, really, and just loves um, helping people and is just so passionate about what he does. And it's great to hear. It's infectious. So if you like that one, which I'm sure you did, um, please share. Let's get this around to as many people as we can. Um, share it to people you think might benefit from Jerry's uh, words of wisdom, um, which I think everyone is including in that bracket. So share on if you can rate on Apple Podcasts. Let's get it. Let's get it trending. Um, put it on your stories. Tag the gym, and then I'll um, I'll pop it up on my story as well. So um, yeah, amazing. And we're going to keep going with the guests and the solo podcast. A few more of those coming up. So thanks for all the support, guys. Um, on the first 25 podcasts and here's to the next 25 and beyond. Okay, guys, have a great week and I'll talk to you very soon. Thanks. Bye-bye.